But recently in my uh, seminary classes, I've had a project where I had to uh, interview my mentor, many of you know him, Chris Crossan, uh, and it was on the topic of preaching, and so I was asking him a lot about how he prepares his sermons and what he feels makes a good sermon and all kinds of questions related to it. And then one question I had at the end was, I, I said, well, Chris, after often, often after I finish preaching, I feel, in my mind, I'll go, oh, I didn't cover that, I meant to share that story, or I forgot to say this, and oh, I took too long on that, and I kind of nitpick and feel kind of disappointed. I said, you know, how do you, how do you deal with after you preach and how you feel and things? And I was really amazed by what he said. He said, oh, no, for me, he said, when I finish preaching, I'm just filled with gratefulness to God. And I say, God, thank you that I had the opportunity to share these truths that you've used in, that you've taught me and used in my life. And I thought, wow, that's, that's amazing. I, I really ought to start doing that, <laughs> giving thanks. You know, we're commanded to give thanks in all circumstances, to be joyful always. Uh, and so as I thought about this topic today, talking about enjoying the Sabbath as a gift from God, uh, I really do have excitement. Um, I was thinking, wow, I've been a Christian over 45 years, and just now I'm starting to understand the Sabbath and how God wants us to celebrate it. So, uh, and it's just given me a lot of joy to have my eyes open and begin to experience more of the blessing that I think God wants us to have on the Sabbath. So I'm very excited to be sharing about that. And as we think about gifts, uh, in our family, if you got a gift from me, it's okay, but, but if you get a gift from Teo, it's going to be the best. He is the best gift giver I don't know where he got it, but he's always listening to what people say, and he picks up on things that they say, oh, I, I wish I could do this or that, and he'll remember it, and then he'll get you that thing you were wanting. Uh, he's really amazing. Um, but gifts weren't always in China, uh, like Bo and Cindy, I'm sure, can relate to this. They weren't always a great thing, strangely enough, that sometimes we'd meet people and they'd They'd come to our house and immediately they'd give us this beautiful box or this gift and the outside of it's just incredible. And we're like, we don't even know you. <laughs> Why are you giving me this gift? And they said, no, no, open it up. And we open it up and be like this beautiful tea set inside or this really expensive tea. And we're like, Whoa. didn't know what to say. I mean, this first time we've met these people. What's going on? And then we invite them in or we go out for coffee somewhere and during the course of the conversation, then, they say, oh, by the way, next week we're opening in an English school, and we wondered if you could come and be a speaker at the opening for it. And after they've just given you this wonderful gift, it's just impossible to say, oh, no, I'm doing something that day, or I can't do it, whatever. You just kind of, you feel so manipulated, you have to say, <laughs> okay. And then we'd go... And then they'd have us up front, and they'd say, oh, in our, teach, in our school, uh, we have uh, great teachers, and they like in, point to me. I'm not even going to be a teacher there, but they're kind of inferring that I'm going to be teaching their kids every week. And so you feel really conflicted and manipulated. And so whenever people would give us gifts, your heart would sink. You know, when you get a gift, it's supposed to be, oh, thank you, that's wonderful. But often in China, it wasn't like that. But 
when God gives us a gift, it's not like that. Think about the things, the gifts God's given us. Salvation, eternal life, the gifts of the Spirit. God's gifts really are amazing. And if you think about it, say, uh, hope. If I said to you, this gift, I'm delivering it, but this gift is from the Almighty God, specially for you. Now, that perks your ears up a little bit, huh? If we knew we were getting a gift from God himself, wouldn't that get our attention? Yes, because God is an amazing, amazing gift giver. And today, I want us to look at the Sabbath and see that it's a gift from God. I know often, for some people, the Sabbath is a burden, or, or we think, oh, it's a rules and things, it's an obligation. We don't see it as a gift. So I want us to look at the scriptures today and see that. We're going to talk about how it's a gift from God created to give us joy and to bless us. God gave it with the intent of benefiting us, to give us joy and to be delight. God has blessed the Sabbath day, so it's a day full of blessings. We know that too much work is bad for us. The Sabbath also stretches our faith. It serves as a testimony to others of God's goodness. And lastly, we're commanded to keep it holy or separate. Set apart is to be holy, to be different. All the other days we work, but on the Sabbath we don't. It's supposed to be a different kind of day. And in this list, I purposely put we're commanded to keep it holy as the last one. That The fact that it's a command, often... We first see it as a command, something I've got to do, instead of first seeing it as a, as a blessing, as a gift. Wow, it's going to bring me joy. It's going to be a delight. Instead, we think, oh, it's something I've got to do. And so my, my prayer is today that you will change your thinking. You'll allow the scriptures to change your way of thinking about the Sabbath. And so that when you celebrate the Sabbath, or you wake up Sunday morning, or if your Sabbath starts Saturday night, you'll be excited. Say, oh, that's the Sabbath. Because I believe that's what God's intention was. So it is a gift from God, and it's to benefit us. If we look here in Mark chapter 2, verses 23 to 28, a story about Jesus. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as he and his disciples made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and when he was hungry? And he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were, who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So here Jesus corrects them about the Sabbath. They had made a bunch of extra rules about how to observe the Sabbath, and, and Jesus just comes right out and says, your understanding of the Sabbath is all wrong. 
know, he says, yeah, what David did was unlawful according to the, the, the Scriptures. But, he said, David's need and the need of the men around him, their hunger, because of their need, that superseded the law. So he had a totally different perspective than the Pharisees had about the Sabbath. And then he makes the statement, which is foundational, this idea that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made to benefit you. You weren't created for the sake of the Sabbath, no. The Sabbath, God created Jesus, created the Sabbath for us, for our benefit. He knows us. He created us. He knew that we needed one day a week when we could take time to be refreshed mentally, physically, and spiritually, and to focus on Him and enjoy, have a day, to, a special day to enjoy Him and remember that He's our Creator and our Savior. So He said that the Sabbath was made for your benefit. Okay? It's not some rules and things that I'm, that I'm having you do for my benefit. No, I, Jesus said, I created the Sabbath for you. Then he, uh, also we see that it's a gift that brings us joy and should be a delight for us. And we looked at this passage already. But I think this, this is one of the most beautiful chapters in, in Scripture. Um, about the, the, the fast of the Lord in Isaiah 58. What, a, what is a true fast? And I, I just listen to the first part of this. It's such a, a beautiful passage, some of the most amazing poetry or prose in the world. And the concepts here are so profound. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its gods. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and, and you haven't noticed Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? So he starts by rebuking them for their failure to to do right. And then he says, that's not the way you're to fast and be related to me. He says, is not this the kind of fast I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then, 
Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and He will say, Here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression and the, with pointing the finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will, be, will rebuild the ancient walls and raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Then he comes to this passage. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath day a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and doing as you please and speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Wow, what an incredible passage of what God's heart is. He says if we do these, if we take care of the poor and we break the chains of injustice, and we get rid of oppression. Our light will rise in the darkness. Our night will become like the noonday. If we honor the Sabbath, He will cause us to ride in triumph on the heights of the land. What an amazing promise God gives here to us. And I'm so struck by this that He says, if you don't, just don't do what you please on my holy day, but if you call the Sabbath a delight. And I thought about my own life. How many times have I woken up Sunday morning and said, oh, it's the Sabbath. Sadly, there are many years in my life when that wasn't my attitude. What about for you? When you think of the Sabbath, which we celebrate now on the first day of the week, on Sunday. When you think about Sunday, do you see it as a delight? Well, God wants you to. And we're going to see why we should see it as a delight. He's, one thing he says, if we see it as a delight, we'll find our joy in the Lord and we'll ride in triumph on the heights of the land. So he promises immense blessing to us if we'll delight in the Sabbath, this day that He created for us. He created it for our benefit. Not to be a burden. That's the last thing God wants the Sabbath to be. A burden. And then, it's amazing, this last sentence, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. When you see that phrase, you know God is saying, hey, pay attention. This is important stuff. This is really important. In fact, I looked at where this phrase is used, and it's interesting, the passages where it has, 
some of the most incredible passages in the Old Testament. And Isaiah 1, 18-20 says, a very famous prophecy, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What a beautiful promise that our sins can be made white as wool. Though they're like scarlet, they'll be made white as wool. This promise of having a clean heart. And at the end of it, what does God say? He wants us to know and treasure these truths. So he says, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And Isaiah 40, another incredible passage. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins, meaning that her sins have been completely paid for. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So in the Old Testament, there's four places where this phrase is used. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. First, when it's talking about our sins being made white as snow. Then in Isaiah 40 here, where it speaks the words that John the Baptist said, speaking of Jesus, this one that was coming, and the, every mountain would be made low, and every valley lifted up. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. That glory being Jesus will be revealed. This amazing promise. And to make sure people pay attention and get it, God tacks on the end. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And there's one more passage similar to it in, in Micah, through verses 1 through 5. And it's made famous, especially verse 3. It says, and he, speaking of Jesus, the Messiah that's coming, he shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. So again, this promise of one day when nation would not be fighting nation, they would beat their plowshares, their swords into plowshares. There would be peace, this day that we all long for. So four amazing passages. I mean, they're all familiar passages that we hear. And they all end. They're the only four in the Old Testament that end with this phrase, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And one of them is this one talking about the Sabbath. Uh, I've taken a lot of time to go over that. I just want to make the point. God is trying to get our attention here to say this 
is significant. Nod your head if you're with me on this. Okay, God is saying this is... Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, this is important stuff. Wake up. <laughs> oh, you got an extra hour of sleep. Everybody should be very awake. Okay, and, but, and what is he saying? He says he wants us to call the Sabbath a delight. The Sabbath is important to God. Not because of rules, but because he created it to bless us, to benefit us. Is your Sabbath blessing you, benefiting you? Well, if not, pay attention. God is wanting to speak to you, to me, to all of us this morning about it. Also, it's, so we said it's a gift. It's a gift in so many ways. Another way is it's a gift because God blessed the day. When he first, uh, the second time in Exodus, um, when he's giving the Ten Commandments, or the, actually the first time, he says, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. And for six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, we already talked about to be holy means to be set apart, to be different. The Sabbath's different in that all the other days we work, the Sabbath we don't work, and it's a special day unto God for us. God created for us to be refreshed mentally, physically, and spiritually. And it says he blessed the day. If a man was blessed by God, his life was filled with blessing. It's a day, if a day is blessed by God, it's a day filled with blessing. Is your Sabbath day blessed? When you think of your Sabbath day, is it a day filled with blessing? God wants it to be. That's his intention from the beginning. Also, he gave it to us because too much work is bad for us. I just recently came across this article said 22% of the world work more than 49 hours per week, have long work days. There's a 61% higher injury rate when people are working overtime. We, I don't have to go into statistics. We all know that people work too much, and it's not good for us. Any of us that have worked long weeks, you know you come home exhausted. You can't be the father, the husband, that you want to be, or it's more challenging to be when you're exhausted. It's not how God wants us to be. But strangely, often we, we take a joy in being busy, or we, we become proud. Have you ever met somebody where you say, oh, hey, some guys are getting together to watch the football game tomorrow night. Can you come? Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to be out of town. I, I got a business meeting. Oh, and, but they say it in a way that like they're kind of proud. I'm, I'm busy. I'm important. I got stuff going on. I can't just hang out with the guys. I don't have time for that. Oh, I got to go to Thailand on a business trip. <laughs> I got a client I got a meeting with. You know, we've all met people like that. Do we like it? No. Don't you love it when somebody has enough margin in your life where some, you call them on the last minute, hey, we're just getting some guys together to watch the game. Oh, I'll be over. Yeah, I'll make it. They have margin to be able to, to do the unexpected or last minute. Not always, but you know, there's margin in their life. And, but in our society, really, many people kind of teach this idea, or our society teaches, you're important if you're busy. And so some of us get that, unfortunately. And we talk like that. Oh, sorry, I can't make it. I, I got a leadership meeting that night, or... 
I'm not trying to pick on ladies. Ah, it might be anything. Um, but no, that's not God's attitude. And if we have that, if you see that in your life, then you need to ask God to correct that. That we people that have time. Oh, and I uh, saw this just the other night. Someone's, there was research that said uh, some students at a university did some experiments, and they found that if you do an all-nighter, with regard to your reaction time and your coordination, it is as impaired as someone that is legally drunk in California with a 0.1% blood alcohol level. That's what, that's what you're reduced to if you do an all-nighter. And any of you that are getting older, you know it just gets worse as you get older. You do an all-nighter, you're just ruined. Okay. God knows that too much work is bad for us. So he gives us a day to recharge our battery. He also gives us the Sabbath as a gift because it stretches our faith, just like uh, the manna in the Old Testament. Okay, so God provides for them. Every day I give you manna, but on Saturday, or well, it's different in the Old Testament, the day before the Sabbath, he gives double the amount and tells them to gather double the amount. Now normally what they gather each day spoils if they try to keep it the next day but god provides so that the next day it won't spoil and he tells them to gather it up and let me just skip to the next passage so he very clearly tells them what i just told you gather twice the amount the day before the sabbath and i'll make it so that it doesn't spoil but it requires that they trust god doesn't it because every other day they kept some extra it said not only did it spoil, but it, had, it stunk and it had worms. Oh, disgusting. So God said, just gather enough that you need each day, but the day before, gather twice the amount, and I'll make sure it doesn't spoil. Trust me. Well, what happens? It says on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And listen to God's frustration here. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the Sabbath. They had to learn to trust God. There were some that, that didn't. They went out on the, on the Sabbath day to go collect some, even though God had very clearly said not to do that. And for some people, this is an issue. To trust God, oh, if I don't work seven days of work, if I don't work for at least you know, a few hours on Sunday, I just can't get all my work done. Uh, with Bo and Cindy, we're very familiar, the farmers we worked with, uh, our new first generation of Christians in, in the village, they really struggled with the Sabbath. We, we taught to them, and I remember Wushu, one of the men, he said to me, he said, well, even if I took a Sabbath, I wouldn't be able to enjoy it because I'd be so worried, how am I going to get all my work done in just six days? Because they had never seen it modeled in their culture. They work every day. Often they lose track of what day of the week it is, except they, certain days they know are market day. That's how they kind of keep their calendar. But every day is work. And when they began to celebrate the Sabbath, it was beautiful. But it was so hard for them because they'd never seen it modeled. 
So in that regard, we are so blessed to grow up in families and even a culture that gives us Sunday off. It doesn't, in general, expect people to be working on Sunday. But it does require faith, and that's part of the gift of the Sabbath. Trust God that He will bless us if we don't work. I know when I was a junior in college, I was reading some passage, or I read something about the Sabbath, and I said, wow, I don't do that in my studies. I, I study every day. I study Saturday night. I go to church on Sunday, but Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening, I, I always, there's just so much work. I, I have to study. And I felt convicted that God wanted me to begin to take a Sabbath. So I began Saturday night at 6 p.m. I would stop studying until Sunday at 6 p.m. And I received such a blessing from the Lord. I had my best grades ever when I did that. And I began to enjoy that time from Saturday night to Sunday. I began to say, hey, I can't study, so I guess I just got to have fun. So I would enjoy myself, go to church, go out with friends, where before it was a, it was a burden. Oh, I have to study and never got out from under it, always anxious about everything. But I discovered God's word is true. And let me encourage you for yourself that you will model this for your kids and encourage your children to do the same. Encourage them to have a 24-hour period where they aren't studying. That's, that's a student's work is to study. So if they're going to take a Sabbath, that means they have a period of time where they don't study, where they don't work. Uh, and that's not easy for a lot of students unless you, their parents, help them. And maybe you did or didn't do that. But I promise you, test God at his word and, or take him at his word and you'll find that he's faithful. Your kids, that they'll start enjoying the Sabbath and they'll do, they'll do, I, I'm convinced they'll do better at school as well. I remember too with this, um, it's, an example is really powerful. So I remember with our Zhuang farmer friends, I got out a picture and I showed them a picture of my grandparents and my aunts and uncles. I said, These all, they all were farmers in Indiana. And every Sunday morning when they got up, they, my dad and uh, his brother would have to milk the cows or else the harm comes to the cows if they don't get milked. But after that, they didn't do any work the whole day. Every day of his life on the farm. They worked hard for six days, but Sunday they didn't work. And God prospered them because of that. So your example to your children will have a big impact. But observing the Sabbath not only will bless, your example will not only bless your children, it will bless possibly others around you. And we see this in Deuteronomy 4, right before the Ten Commandments are given again, the law is given. There's this amazing verse. Moses says to him these words from God. He said, Observe these commands carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? 
And what other nation is so great is as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I'm setting before you today. I believe that when the nations saw all the different laws of the Jews, and particularly the Sabbath, they said, wow, look at them. They have one day a week where they don't do work. But instead, they celebrate and enjoy their God. Wow, what their laws, their system is so amazing. And God said to them, that was part of what the law's purpose was, was that the nations around them would see how good God is, how good and right his ways are. So when you're, you and your families observe the Sabbath and use it to enjoy God and to be refreshed, I believe people around you will see it and be attracted to it. And that's part of God's purpose for the Sabbath. Then also, it's to bring us joy and to bless us. So in Deuteronomy, again, he gave him the command. And it's very interesting, especially if you look at verse 15, after he tells them about not working on the Sabbath. In verse 15, he says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. So the first time that we're told God created in six days and then he rested. The emphasis was God created, then he rested. And there was a sense in that account when we, there's a sense that God enjoyed what he had created on the seventh day. He rested from creating, but also he enjoyed his creation. The second time the Sabbath is brought up here in Deuteronomy, the emphasis is a little different. We get another angle on the beauty of the Sabbath. It's like looking at a beautiful gem and light shines into it at different angles. You say different angles reflect its beauty in different ways. Here the angle emphasizes, remember you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought you out of there. So part of the Sabbath, he says, and then the Lord commands you to observe the Sabbath. So it hints at this idea that as part of the Sabbath, we should be remembering how God has delivered us how he's taking us out of our former life, being slaves to sin, and he's rescued us. He's our savior, our redeemer. He's rescued us from an old life where we felt we always had to be working, maybe in order to get self-respect, self-esteem. We needed to work. That was our identity. Now we've been delivered from that. Because we're a child of God, we have our identity in him and are secure. So first it was as a creator, and so I think that's part of, that can be part of our Sabbath celebration, is taking time to enjoy nature, enjoy what God has created, and thank Him for that. To enjoy what we have in our lives. And then also to remember what He has saved us out of. Our old life of of slavery to sin. Um, And now, the freedom to serve him. Also, some object, though. Maybe you've heard this. Some say we don't need to keep the Sabbath anymore. One of the reasons they use is of all the commandments, the Ten Commandments, all ten of them are repeated in the New Testament except one. And which one's not repeated? The Sabbath. Well, that's interesting. Why is that? Some people say, well, it's because 
We don't have to observe the Sabbath anymore. In fact, they go on to say, oh, Jesus fulfilled. In Hebrews 4, it seems to indicate that Christ fulfilled and gave us this Sabbath rest. Well, it would take too long to go through the whole passage, and I encourage you to, to look at it on your own. But I want to point out a couple of things. First, in verses 1 to 3, it says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest... Oh, in this, this portion in Hebrews 4 in the NIV, the title over it is a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Okay, so that's the context of this passage. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest, his Sabbath rest, still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest. So it says those that believe enter this Sabbath rest. We have already attained this Sabbath rest. And because of that, people say, oh, so Jesus fulfilled it. We the, it we have the fulfillment of the Sabbath rest. But if we continue on down to verse 9, it says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Speaking of uh, those that entered the promised land. So the first part, it says, we've entered the rest. And then the second, it goes on later, says, make every effort to enter it. And some people say, oh, well, there's a contradiction. The Bible made a mistake. No. There's a phrase that a man named George Eldon Ladd wrote a whole book called The Kingdom of God. And I remember I once had a test in seminary and was supposed to write, it was an essay to summarize the message of his book. And I, was, I ran out of time, and that was my last question, so I just put, well, he says that the kingdom of God is already but not yet. It's already come but not in its complete fulfillment. That's all I had time to write. And I got it back, and I got an A-plus on that answer. <laughs> he wrote this whole book, and I could summarize it in two sentences. And actually, four words, four, five words, already but not yet. It's this idea that we see Jesus bringing the kingdom of God, and he's brought it. We've experienced the kingdom of God, but we haven't yet experienced it in its fullness. That won't happen until we get to heaven. Okay, And in the same way, the Sabbath rest is like that. We've, we, when we come to Christ and begin following him, we begin to experience this rest in our lives. A rest from trying to earn our salvation, or from trying to get self-esteem by what, we, by what we do. And instead, we have rest in Christ, that we are saved because of what He's done for us. But there's still a sense that we're not going to fully experience that relationship with Christ and that sense of peace and rest and our complete identity in Him till we get to heaven and experience that for eternity. So that's one reason why we don't believe this passage in Hebrews is saying you don't need to keep the Sabbath anymore. Christ already fulfilled it. Well, he fulfilled it in part, but not completely yet. And we're, it says we're to continue to make every effort to enter that rest. 
Then, uh, another very important thing is both Paul and Jesus regularly attended and taught in the synagogue on the Sabbath. If Jesus had fulfilled the Sabbath, don't you think he would have told people, oh, you don't need to keep doing this? And certainly he wouldn't have honored their practice by participating in it. But in Luke 4, 16, it says, Jesus came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. So, and then there's several other passages that talk about Jesus going to the synagogue on the Sabbath. Then with Paul, we see the same thing in Acts 17 with verse 2, well, verse 1. Now when he had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. So, Paul and Jesus both continued to celebrate the Sabbath. And so, we see that that practice didn't stop. And then, very importantly, after the resurrection, Christians began celebrating the Sabbath on the first day of the week. Okay, what's the first day of the week? Sunday. Sometimes we get confused. Like in China, they call Monday as day one, day two. So it gets us thinking, oh, Sunday's the last. No, Sunday is the beginning of our week. And Jesus resurrected on what day? Sunday. That's why the believers began to have their Sabbath on Sunday. So probably starting Saturday night at sundown through Sunday at sundown. And it says, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to part on the next day. He prolonged his speech till midnight. So, on the first day of the week, it appears that that's when they gathered to break bread. This idea in the uh, New Testament, we see the church would often have a big meal as part of its church celebration. Um, similar to like we have one after it, they actually had the meal to begin it. And as part of that meal, they took the Lord's Supper, and that was the beginning of their worship service. And then in Corinthians, Paul says, now concerning the collection for the saints, this was especially collecting for the saints in Jerusalem, he said, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, on Sunday, when you meet for church, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I came, when I come. So again, this idea that they were meeting, their meetings were the first day of the week, Sunday, and that's when they should collect this money, so that when Paul came, they wouldn't have to collect. So that's why we celebrate our Sabbath on Sunday and not on Saturday. Then lastly, I call it the common sense test. Since Christ came and we got the Holy Spirit, have Christians because of that, suddenly been able to balance their lives. We no longer have to worry about overworking. It's just not a problem because the Holy Spirit, we're so in tune with the Holy Spirit, we always know when to stop working. No. If ever, this time in life, people struggle more than ever with working too much. Uh, so it, it just makes sense that God would keep this gift to us, that it would continue to be in effect now, that we would be refreshed through the Sabbath. Okay, then I, I'll cover this just quickly, because I really want to get to the application. Uh, in this passage, it's 
they were going through the grain fields, and we already talked about this, where they criticized Jesus and his disciples' practices. So we see that Jesus thought differently about it. And especially down in verse 6, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus says, there's one greater than the temple here. Who is that? It's me. And I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I created it for you. Let me tell you what is right and lawful to do and what is not. And he says the guiding principle is love. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So Jesus is saying love takes precedence over all of these ceremonial laws. So if on Sunday afternoon we had a friend that was wanting to know more about Jesus, uh, wanted to have a Bible study, you know, that maybe he'd have to spend an hour doing that. Would Jesus be disappointed, angry that you would do that to work on the Sabbath, have this Bible study? No. Jesus said love takes precedence over the laws. As we look at this passage, and he, he, he tells them the needs of David took precedence over the law. Love takes precedence over the law. Was Jesus more into the letter of the law or the spirit of the law? Which one? The spirit, yes. Okay, and we see that even when he heals this man. Uh, the Pharisees, at the end, the man stretched out his hand and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how they could destroy him. They thought Jesus healing this guy was breaking the law and was a horrible thing. They had gotten so twisted in their thinking about the Sabbath. It's not about legalism. Jesus was much more about the spirit of the law. What is the purpose of the Sabbath? So I want to talk very briefly uh, just to conclude here. Some recommendations on how we can celebrate the Sabbath better. One, enjoy worshiping the Lord and others at church and at home group. That would be pleasing to the Lord. If you're not able to come to church and worship on Sunday, take some 24-hour period for physical, spiritual, mental refreshment each week. If the Sabbath feels like a burden, acknowledge that something is not right. You're not celebrating the Sabbath right, and you're not thinking about it right if it seems like a burden to you. Oh, man, Sunday... Yes, it's off to church. If that's your attitude about the Sabbath, you need to listen to this message a second time. And remember that the spirit of the command is much more important to Jesus, that the focus of it was love and that the Sabbath is for your benefit. Then lastly, let me encourage you to do this. Ask God for wisdom and experiment. Be creative. Try something new on the Sabbath. If, if the Sabbath isn't a delight to you, try something new. I especially the, to the men that are heads of your household. You're the head of the household. Initiate something. Maybe ask your family, what can we do to make the Sabbath more special, a, more of a day of spiritual, mental, and physical refreshment? Is there something we need to stop doing? Something we need to start doing? Or pray and ask God. God will, will give you wisdom. And then especially, give attention to the spiritual. I find that in my own life, that's the part I often neglect. 
I'll sit down and relax, take a nap on Sunday. I'll be spiritually, physically refreshed, but many times I neglect the spiritual part. Uh, in this hymn, uh, it talks about that idea, why we need to give the spiritual part attention. The famous hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And it says, I love this part. Let thy goodness like a fetter or like a chain bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's just the way I know my heart is. It's, the default mode is to move away from God. I wish it wasn't like that. But that's the reality I find. And so that's why I'm so thankful God gave us the Sabbath. He knows that. And so he gives one day every week so that we can come back. Okay, God, let me get back and, and remember and thank you and draw close to you again because I'm so prone to wander. Thank you for giving me the Sabbath to do that. Okay, then this question often comes up. Well, how do I know if what we're wanting to do Oh, we're thinking of having a picnic uh, or I'm going to get some friends together and we're going to play touch football. Would that be pleasing to God on the Sabbath? Well, I think the best way to figure it out is, one, ask the question. At the end of that day, say, God, am I more or less spiritually and physically refreshed because I did that? Sometimes if uh, in my life if I'm working out every day, come Sunday, I need a day to rest. But if I haven't been working out, sometimes on Sunday afternoon, if I go to the gym for an hour, I, I, it's great. I feel very refreshed at the end of the day. That was beneficial to me. So I'm very hesitant to make any rules. We need to ask this question. I think it's a really good question. At the end of the day, is what we did, did it make us more mentally, physically, and spiritually refreshed in the Lord? And then the best one is ask the Lord of the Sabbath. Ask Jesus. Jesus, my going and playing flag football this afternoon, were you pleased with that? Were you pleased with how that was part of my honoring the Sabbath? He, he may very well be. I hope so. This afternoon, I'm playing Frisbee golf with five of my old roommates from years back. Every year, we meet together and play golf. But as part of our time together, we also check up on each other. See how we're doing, if there's how each person is doing spiritually. And it's a time of very rich fellowship. I know tonight when I go to bed and I ask God, God, were you pleased with that? I'm, I'm almost certain he's going to say, yes, that was refreshing to you physically, mentally, and spiritually. And to conclude, I want to talk about a few examples. Hopefully these will be just ideas that will spur your thinking of what you might do to make the Sabbath more important. After my sophomore year in high school, I spent four months in Kenya, Africa, working with my brother at a Bible college there, and then I'd been at a navigator training program in Montana, so I went back there and spent several months, and I lived with a Mennonite family that went to this evangelical free church that we were part of. And because I was part of their home, every Sunday after church, they had a big table, and they, would in, they had eight extra spaces that they would invite eight people from the church to come have lunch with them. And so I always got to invite one or two people as well, and they would invite several, and we'd all coordinate to make sure we had eight people. Uh, and she would cook something in the crock pot, so most of the work was done the night before. 
And it was a simple meal, but I loved Sundays living with them. That time around the table was so rich. Meeting people I didn't know at church, hearing about their lives, everyone telling stories and just hanging out that afternoon, getting to know each other. Uh, it was wonderful. When I used to live in Pasadena in the evenings, there were some Fuller students that met at a church near um, Fuller Seminary, and they would just come and worship, and whoever had a message would share. Uh, that time, I just used to love to go to that meeting. I just felt, felt so full afterwards. Uh, and there were times, there used to be a lot of students on Saturday nights would go to the Anaheim Vineyard just to worship. And there would be almost 2,000 people there just, and they'd spend 45 minutes in worship. We recently went there. Unfortunately, the numbers of rows like only 300 people there, but the worship was still really rich. Um, in the, those days, students went because it was a way to honor God on the Sabbath, to really be spiritually refreshed. There's something like that for you. Maybe it's listening some music on the Sabbath or playing some or getting together with someone else to, to make music. Uh, figure out what is it that refreshes you spiritually. About a month ago or two months ago, after church, we had been talking about this idea how to make the Sabbath more special. So our family, after church, after we, we ate a little bit here, and then we went to Ranches Palace Verdes, drove out there. There's a Trader Joe's right in Ranches Palace Verdes with a Starbucks. So all the kids, and we all got coffees and uh, chips, and supposedly, you know, all that stuff's organic, so it makes you feel like it's good for you. So <laughs> had this really, quote, healthy meal. And then we went out, and we found some benches overlooking the ocean, and we were able to look down the cliffs. There were people snorkeling down in the water, and just spent several hours just enjoying God's creation. And afterwards, we all said, wow, that was, that was refreshing. That was renewing physically and spiritually. Uh, and then one recently on a Sunday night, we just looked in the fridge and we gathered a bunch of uh, leftovers and we went, there's a park five minutes from our house. We went down there and we ate the leftovers and then we shared a little bit. We said, well, what, what has God been teaching you this week? And we talked about that and then watched the sunset. It was a really beautiful sunset. Uh, and then we went home and we felt, wow, that was, that was really refreshing. Um, sometimes in China, we would take on the afternoon, we'd just spend a little time just having a Bible study, kind of a leisurely Bible study, just to enjoy God's Word. I remember always feeling afterwards, oh, that was rich. Uh, church picnics. I, I remember a picnic I went on once where I don't know what, if it was 4th of July or what, but they had a, a small prayer time after people had eaten, and then somebody gave a simple devotional message, and then there were lots of games, and everybody was sharing all their barbecue and food. And I just remember after that, I thought, wow, that was, I feel so refreshed physically and spiritually, even though physically we've done a lot of games and things, but it was that question that I encourage you to ask. God has given you a gift. It's got your name on it. And it's called the Sabbath. And it's from his hand, created specifically to bless you, to refresh you, spiritually, mentally, and physically. And he's giving it to you. He's offering it to you to, again today. What will your response be? Let me encourage you. It 
is an amazing gift. When you open it, you will be so blessed. Please take it and enjoy it as a gift from his hand to you. Let's pray. Lord, we do just thank you so much that you know what we need, Lord. I pray you'd give creativity to all the different people here. There's people that haven't been delighting in the Sabbath, that the Sabbath hasn't been spiritually or physically or mentally refreshing, that you would help them begin talking about it and figuring out and talking to you, Lord. You're the Lord of the Sabbath, asking you what can they do so that the Sabbath will have and achieve its intended purpose. And Lord, I just thank you that you, I know, will be faithful to help and guide and give wisdom. Lord, we really want to honor you, and we just thank you that you are looking out for us and our needs, and that's why you gave us the Sabbath, a gift from you. We thank you in Jesus' name.